My heart is beating for me. I'm standing all alone. Please call me only if you are coming home. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are discussing Green Day's Homecoming this afternoon. Uh, Are you ready? Welcome Fresh out the oven in cinema bombs. I'm Emmett. Oh, and I'm Wade. <laughs> cinema I was distracted. Though. It's I don't a know podcast why. where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, even sometimes ones that are maybe not in the franchise. One each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our mini series, Webhead Summer, covering every Spider-Man film. We will fully spoil today's film, Spider-Man: Homecoming, but we will probably try not to spoil any future entries in the series. <laughs> Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Emmett. Homecoming is probably my favorite song on that album. It's such a good song. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I do love that song. How are you doing, Evan? Uh, I am doing super well. Uh, I really enjoyed watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Annoyed that Disney bought the entirety of Marvel, but then didn't put Spider-Man on Disney+. Plus. That's a little, you know, think about it, Kevin. Think about it. I don't know if you did this too, Emmett, but I watched this on my dread enemy, the Stars app. Oh, where we watched Little Women, which I had forgotten about. Oh, with a little yes, uh-huh. until this movie started, and I saw the stars app flashing in the bottom corner of every single oh, second. God, yes, it was so horrible. And I will say too, this movie, just to kick it off, as with all of these other Spider-Man movies, some mm-hmm. some dodgy CGI. Yes. I think maybe in this one particular, I'm not sure if Sony maybe had the time or the budget to totally push this over the line exactly as far as it needed to be. But the streaming quality on the Stars app, I think, was also making that stuff Yeah, work. unkind to it. <laughs> much worse than in another. And then if I had the Blu-ray, I'm sure it yeah, would be much better. For sure, for sure. So what are the stats of this film, Spider-Man Homecoming 2017? This is the fourth film in phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the 16th overall. It's the second film to star Spider-Man after, of course, last week, Captain America's Civil War. It was released July 7th, 2017 by Sony Pictures. I believe the deal here, Mm -hmm. um, as I understand it, is that Marvel is doing the creative decisions Uh on the movie and Sony is marketing and collecting the checks, basically. Sony is, like, bankrolling uh-huh. the movie, marketing the movie, getting the returns from the movie. But Marvel Studios are the ones creatively making the movie. Okay. That is my understanding of this specific weird deal. That's a really interesting sort of deal. Did you see this one in theaters the year it came out? I don't think that I did. July 2017? I think the first time I saw this movie was with you in quarantine. Oh, uh, yes. When you showed it to all of us at the house. Yes, I do remember. I was actually a little... uh, 
you know, I just wasn't over the moon about watching this because I had watched it, I guess, two years ago now. But it still felt very recent that we had all watched this together. And then watching it, I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. This is very easily watchable. Yeah. This film was directed by John Watts. He had only directed two movies before this, uh, a scary movie called Clown, mm. which I had never heard of, and a little drama called Cop Car, starring Kevin Bacon. This is a pretty fun little movie. I actually had seen this before this movie, but that's really all. And so this is kind of a big, a big get for him. Three different duos of writers on this. So a lot of hands are mixing this movie together. Mm -hmm. The first draft is credited to Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. These two, uh, before this, had written the Horrible Bosses movies as well as Vacation. So like comedy guys. They were the first choice, I believe, to direct this. And then Watts, I guess, just had a stronger pitch is basically what I heard. That even though he wasn't as experienced, he just was very passionate about his pitch, what he wanted to do with this movie. So they went with him, but these guys ended up writing it. After this, they directed the movie Game Night, which I love. Uh -huh. A really good movie. And they are currently directing the Dungeons & Dragons movie. Ooh that's supposed to come out next year. So they do the first draft. Second draft is by John Watts himself and his writing partner, Christopher Ford, who wrote Clown and Cop Car, both of them together. And then the final shooting draft is by the writing duo of Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. These guys were also working on Community with the Russo brothers, oh. and they wrote the Lego Batman movie. Oh, no way. And this is the duo that is going to go on to write Far From Home and No Way Home. Okay. So on this one, I think they're probably doing a lot of like punch up and right. continuity stuff, but they're going to be like the B writers for the next two. Yeah. The score was by Michael Giacchino, who we just talked about right. on Jurassic World Dominion. Really fun score on this. Yeah, I liked it. I noticed liking it at a couple of points, which doesn't happen often. Running two hours and 13 minutes, a budget of $175 million which is the smallest for a Spider-Man movie since the 2002 original. Wow. This is a smaller budget than Spider-Man 2 or 3 or either of the Amazing Spider-Mans. Wow. Damn. Um, but it made $878 million, uh, which made it the sixth highest grossing film of 2017, and it was the highest grossing superhero movie. So none of the five above it were superhero movies. And it was uh, positively received critically, especially compared to the Amazing Spider-Man movies, which oh. got a 66 and 53 on Metacritic. This came out with a 73 positive reception at the time. Emmett, what would you like to say about the plot of this movie? It's interesting. It's, it's a pretty simple, straightforward plot of this guy who you see early on, played by Michael Keaton, is stealing supplies from the cleanup crews that are like cleaning up the disasters of the Avengers and like cleaning up all this alien tech and stuff like that that could possibly be used as weapons. Well, he's stealing some of it and selling it. This is bad. Spider-Man gets into a couple of little dust-ups with him and then, it turns out, asks his daughter to the homecoming dance. Bad mistake mm -hmm. on his part. Well, unbeknownst to him. Unbeknownst to him. And then he like gets to the house and he sees him. And that part, pretty awesome. Love that part mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a very straightforward coming-of-age superhero story. Yeah. 
with the added twist that at the end, because he like kicks her dad's ass and he gets sent away to prison, the girl Liz, who he's interested in, mm-hmm. is moving away, never to see him again. So he like totally screws it all up as far yeah. as like as far as like that goes, and it's like I mean he's also he gets the suit taken away from him too. So it's kind of like the moment of really having to rely on his own wits and his own whatever he's got. And then realizing at the end, too, that like you can do all of that, beat the bad guy and still like not get everything you want. Yeah. And I think he's like like a more mature Spider-Man at the end of that for for that. And he rejects to the, the yeah rejects the, the offer. opportunity of a. I guess to be a full-time Avenger and to get like yeah. an even more high-tech suit. He rejects yeah. the offer. To go and still be a high school student and still do the thing that he has been doing, which is like yeah. the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, which I think yeah. is really cool. And just like in general, Tom Holland, great in this movie, mm-hmm. really showing off like both sides of that character, like the fun Spider-Man side and like, like I really think that it's, this is the one that nails it as Peter Parker can be a boy genius and also not, like a weird and creepy person like right, right. like he, he he is like can be a little awkward but he yeah. can also be like a just like charming person and a boy genius at the same time who is like yeah. doing all this crazy stuff and it's like of course he can fly the plane just by pulling the fin because peter parker would know how to do the angles and get like all of that right spider-man has the ability to do it mm-hmm. but it's like also the other it's like the physics kid who like is figuring all of that stuff out for him, which I think is really fun and plays well in this character. Yeah. I feel like I sometimes see criticism of these movies and this movie from the people who really love the Raimi trilogy, mm-hmm. that, that there is like a lack of focus on the tragedy of Spider-Man or on like the Peter Parker luck, you know, that the Spider-Man like gets the suit handed to him and, and things really go his way. But that is, like, so not the contents of this movie. Yeah. Like, this is totally a movie where, like, his crush asks him to go night swimming and he has to move away. Or, like, the news uses a picture of him and it's him with toilet paper on his costume coming out of the porta potty. Like, it is that same thing where everything is going wrong. He just has, like, a better sort of disposition about things. Yeah, he's (laughs) not Toby McGuire. He's not Toby McGuire. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. Which is kind of what the fact that he like is always bouncing back from stuff mm-hmm. so well is like part of what makes him a compelling as a compelling and fun protagonist for this movie where he is getting dumped on the entire time. If it was a different actor who felt sorry for himself, it would be much less fun to watch. Yeah. And that's like part of what makes it a comedy too is because like he's just approaching everything like, well, this is happening now, I guess. Yeah, and that is kind of the other difference in the take, I mean, is that it is really going for like a full-on comedy vibe. Mm-hmm. And it has much more of that John Hughesy high school sort of thing. You even see the clip of Ferris Bueller when they're running through. Yeah. That stuff. I love the scene where he, uh, you know, he goes to chase the bad guys and he shoots his web and then he's in like <laughs> the neighborhood of Queens. So there are no skyscrapers. Oh, yeah. And he just has to run. <laughs> across everyone's lawn and he's running across the golf course <laughs> that is very fun yeah. that stuff is so good and i love the uh the comedy montage that stuff feels very queens of where you see him doing like the friendly neighborhood stuff basically yeah. he's like trying to stop a bike thief outside a old sandal store and everyone's yelling at him i love the moment where he starts to pose heroically in front of the american flag 
a la the end of the first Spider-Man. And then Zach Cherry's on the ground and he's like, hey, you're Spider-Man. Do a flip. (laughs) I love his relationship with the deli guy. Oh, yeah. Well, and like there's a way to handle like the collateral damage thing that gets so overblown in Civil War. In, like, a very Mm. realistic, like, one-person-to-one-person sort of way. Like, he is directly responsible for the laser that rips up his friend's shop. But then he also goes in and, like, saves the dude's life and saves his cat. I feel like that hits harder than the whole, like, Tony Stark feels sad. Yeah, totally. Totally. I like that this is the lowest stakes of any Spider-Man movie, I would say. Mm -hmm. In terms of, like, other people getting hurt, you know? Yeah. Well, like... One person dies in this movie, the first shocker, and that is, like, an accident. Yeah. Like, the big plan at the end is to steal high-tech things from an unmanned airplane. Yeah. And even when that goes south, like, the only people in danger of being hurt are the bad guy in Spider-Man. No one else, you know? I mean, I guess if the plane went off course and then crashed into the city, that would be really bad. But that isn't floated so much as a direct threat yeah and that's not the plan by any means yes yeah Yeah. no it's a good point it is and it's all about um like two it is that thing from the original spider-man of like this villain is tied directly to spider-man but not early on and you don't realize that it's kind of like parallel plots Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then when it hits that oh my god not only is he the guy we know he's the guy spider-man has like figured out who this villain is but then to like open the door and see him face to face as your potential girlfriend's dad yeah what that whole scene just really gets me and it is like further extrapolating the whole high school movie metaphor Mm -hmm. you know yeah like the scariest person is your girlfriend's dad yeah and that is like literalized in this in such a smart way yeah it's very smartly done, too. There's a lot of talk about Keaton's daughter, about Keaton having a family, and, you know, in, uh, in all of that stuff. It starts with a drawing that his daughter did. Oh, right. So they're always keeping that in the back of your mind that he has a family, but you think it's sort of background character stuff. Right. And also it's preying on some biases, you know, that right. he doesn't look very much like Liz. But then when you see them together, it makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's all very smartly done. Yeah, that that moment really is just like kind of a whoa. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And Holland plays that scene so good. Yes, I mean, he does. <laughs> talk about like levels of discomfort, you know, because yeah. he is a character who is uncomfortable for a lot of this movie. And to like figure out like when the discomfort is at a six and when it's at an eleven. Yeah. Like it is in that scene. For sure. God, I love him, like, playing with the knife, too. Oh, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. Just being casually threatening. Just accidentally Just threatening. Just accidentally threatening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good. That's the movie. Wait, Flopper Bob. Bob. I, <laughs> yeah. I love this movie. It's really good. I do think that it sort of kicks into... It's like a really fun comedy for the first two acts uh-huh. with some dramatic stuff. And then, like... Truly, the sort of like character arc, emotional core is really in the last 40 minutes, I'd say, mm. really in the third act. But I love it all the way through. I think it's really well done. Emmett Flopper Bob. I think it's a Bob.
I love his friend. Mm-hmm. I love their love of Legos. As somebody mm-hmm. who also possesses the Star Wars, uh, the Death Star <laughs> Lego set, mm-hmm. I feel that. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful to behold. I like how they are layering in the MJ relationship without going yeah. heavy on it. I like that his first that his first romantic interest is just this other this other girl. Mm-hmm. And I like their chemistry a lot. I think that that's all very fun. Like I think they get the high school part of this in a very fun way. Like the John Hughes sort of thing that you were talking about is like done in a very fun way. The parts of this that I think like drag for me are the parts that Tony Stark is in. Hmm. Just because I'm like, oh, it's like this. It's always this like like played out thing where he's like messing with them and trying to like test them and stuff like this. And you're just like, well, I know this is tying into other stuff, but in this movie, it's a little extraneous especially like there at the end it's like another five six minute scene at the end of this already two hour plus movie mm-hmm. because you're just like oh the suit you know i just want to see the suit i just want to see him like walk out in that suit that's what we're waiting for uh-huh. yeah, it's super good i do like his and tony's relationship it really is setting up like a father-son sort of thing and i think that that makes a lot of sense for tony who kind of completes, I mean, it, this is mentioned in Civil War, but at the end of Iron Man 3, he retires from being Iron Man. And then it's like, okay, well, what do you do now? And so in Civil War, they're like, well, I, I couldn't do it. And it came back and me and Pepper broke up. They see that they're back together by the time this movie. That just like happened off screen, right? Yeah, that just happened off screen. It's a fun little surprise when she walks through the doors. It's the last we heard they were broken up. But it makes sense that he needs something non-Iron Man related to be the catalyst for like, the rest of his story and getting sort of a son figure. Right. Yeah. And I like that Peter is sort of like star for attention and just sort of always trying to be useful, you know? And then at the end, he makes the decision to give up that thing he has been craving for what he is already doing and, and kind of felt that wasn't really that worthwhile. You know, he sees the value in it. And I love that he thinks it's a test from Tony, but yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> and Tony is like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That is incredible. I, I well, and it's like this is a Spider-Man who thinks globally and acts locally. You know, <laughs> this sure. is this yes. is like a legit, like a legit dude Spider-Man. And also, like, can we talk about how clutch he came in doing all that stuff on just like basically a weekend from high school to go and basically kick Captain America's ass? single-handedly and then he comes back home and he's just like well that was awesome and when do i get to do it again and and to be left on red for four months (laughs) unbelievable that's unconscionable tony yes seriously i love the starting of this movie as his little home video that he yeah while he was away and i love that it looks so silly when you see the civil war fight from the other angle like yeah Everyone just like sternly standing across from each other in the middle of this giant parking lot. <laughs> it is. All of that fun. stuff is so good. Also, I just want to shout out a great part that I loved a couple of times. It cut mm-hmm. to the student news. Hilarious. With uh with Betty Brandt is one of them, who of course is the character who's like the secretary kind of for the Daily Bugle. Oh whoa. The Raimi movies, the Elizabeth Banks character. She is the newscaster in this one. Huh. Brand. I love that it is like a school for nerds. 
you know? Oh, yeah. It's all nerds, right? What I love, too, is how they treat Flash in this movie. Yeah. With Tony Revolori, as opposed to, like, the very violent, like, jock. Yeah. Flashes that we've seen in both of the last two series. Uh Uh-huh. That in this one, he's, like, a rich kid who basically likes Peter. He's just kind of, like, bemused by him, you know? Yeah. He's just, like, kind of a dick some of the time. <laughs> like, he calls him Penis Barker because it's funny, but he still, like, gives him a little spank in the hallway, and he's like, let's go swimming. <laughs> I think the stuff with that character in future movies, not to spoil oh, yeah. anything, but that's <laughs> very funny. Oh, how yeah. That guy develops. I love in this movie when he's he's like, actually, sir, it's my father's car, sir. So, and then it just cuts to him standing on the side of the road as Peter is driving off. Also, like nothing is funnier to me in the world than Peter Parker in those big glasses, goggles, having no idea how to drive a car. I like the suit. Always just wanting to kill people dead. Oh yeah, that's very There's funny. A bloodthirsty suit. I love the AI in the suit. Karen, I think he calls her eventually. My favorite scene in the whole movie is when he's in the uh, garage of damage control. Uh-huh. And he's just like killing time and he's talking to her and we get this huge montage of him doing like 15 different things. And then he's like, how long has it been? <laughs> she says, 37 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I love all that stuff. Yeah, what would you do if you were locked in there overnight? It'd be terrible. For eight hours, eight yeah. Eight hours, you'd be bored as hell. <laughs> All right, well, I see we have gone to a part of the episode <laughs> called F. Mary Kill the Avengers. Well, this is a game they play in this, this movie. This is a game they play in this movie, which I think is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that would happen in this world oh yeah oh yeah. i mean it happens in this in this real world already when they're not real so uh, it would absolutely happen if they were real you know mm. uh what avengers are we picking from here is it is it up to my discretion for f mary kill um yeah. well i'm assuming the f stands for kiss i have no idea yes okay. yeah yeah i don't know it seems like we're they're playing with a civil war roster here right because that's uh, when this takes place and it okay. kind of feels which limits the options a lot. Also, loving all these jokes about Steve being a war criminal. <laughs> I love Hannibal Burris as the gym coach. That's so funny. Alright, so I'll, I'll put the question to you. Okay. It's going to be, uh, first round, it's the classic lineup. It's going to be Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. This is the big one. Okay, okay. No, this is a good one. Well, I think you'd marry Captain America because he has that steadfast devotion we see. Uh-huh. You would F Thor, uh-huh. who in a couple of years is going to realize that he's very funny. <laughs> Maybe he hasn't realized it yet, but he's going to cut his hair and realize that he's a very funny guy <laughs> in Ragnarok. Uh-huh. And you'd have to kill Tony and, and put him out of his misery, although I'd feel much worse about that now, knowing that he has a son figure than I than I did a few years ago, so <laughs> I don't know. What about you? Okay. Oh, it's it's hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you marry Thor because he's literally a god. And then, a you, and then you become whatever the legal spouse of a god is, which I assume is cooler than whatever I am right now. And 
then on the side because it would make him really mad you kiss captain america and then <laughs> you kill tony because simply not even to put him out of his misery although i guess that would happen but simply because it would bring you satisfaction <laughs> especially oh. after watching civil war <laughs> now Excellent. now okay uh next rounds next rounds oh, but, okay. i'm gonna do I do a little bit deeper cut here okay, okay. we got scarlet witch we've got black widow okay. and we have got our green goddess gamora oh wow well of course i know I know which one you're going to pick, <laughs> considering uh, the color of one of their skin is a iridescent green hue. Well, I would definitely marry Scarlet Witch, you know. Tends to work out horribly for anyone involved in any sort of familial relationship with her. Uh-huh. But uh, that's a risk I'm willing to take, quite frankly. And, oh, hard hard to say. Black Widow and Gamora are both so violent. <laughs> both so angry um and i don't think i would be literally i'm certain that i would be killed in an attempt to kill either of them instead i guess i'm i'm going to say f black widow to give her some love because i feel like she might not get any from from other members of the team here so and kill gamora that would be my answer Say so we got to kill Scarlet Witch because she's too powerful. She's the most powerful oh, okay. Avenger. Okay. And if she was ever like available, um, I think she would really kick ass. Unfortunately, I think she was making tea for the entirety of <laughs> Civil War or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know she could give you a house and a home, perhaps in an entirely imaginary dimension, but the risks are just too high. Um, <laughs> And once again, it is a risk I am willing to take. <laughs> I would like that on the record. <laughs> I think I would kiss Black Widow for previously mentioned reasons of, you know, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. you know, you know what I'm saying. So we're just not even going to get into it. But I feel like she's around. No, okay, I will. I will get into it. I feel like she is around a lot of really attractive people all the time. Uh-huh. And they all have like these weird dead girlfriends in the past or sometimes they are hulk people who don't understand their feelings good or sometimes they are archers who are maybe your best friends so maybe that would be weird and then um, i would marry gamora the sweet sweet space queen no surprise of course and get to rule at the left hand of thanos true yeah true true Okay, now that we've thoroughly derailed ourselves. <laughs> that might be all the time we have for today. Um, the, what about the continuity corner in this one? Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to say, when it says eight years later, that's a lie. There's no way it could be eight years after the Battle of New York, which takes place in 2012. Uh-huh. It just doesn't work with the timeline. Yes. Marvel Studios, I think, put out like a book with an official timeline or something, basically saying that that's a lie. So we're going to ignore that completely. We hear in this movie that Peter is 15 years old. And we hear that he is a sophomore. And in Civil War, we hear... Civil War, which takes place in 2016, we hear that he has had his powers for six months. Uh So what time of the year do we think this movie takes place? 
Do we think that that movie is also is like the start of his sophomore year, and this is later in the sophomore year? Yes, maybe. This would be at the end of sophomore year, so it would be the following spring. Because okay. it's homecoming, right? Or does homecoming happen in the... See, our homecoming happened in the fall. Prom took place in the spring, basically. I think it depends on what your sport is, does it not? But there's True. there are nerd schools, so they may not have a sport. But they do have cheerleaders who we see in the hallway. So, so there is... Well, it could be, honestly, for like the academic decathlon or for some of those right. like brainy sports it could be something like that yes yeah, so or like chess or badminton and you know here's a little clue the movie ends with them electing a new team captain for liz who is a senior and is graduating right right and seems to be leaving a little bit before the year is over but but towards the end of the year it's yeah like... so i would guess this is spring semester spring semester sophomore, sophomore year. year yeah yeah Okay. How about any behind the scenes drama? Okay, I've got two big things that I want to hit here uh-huh. um, very quickly. The first one, this is something I'm sad to say that once you see it, it is hard to unsee. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about it a lot this watching as I was every time since I've, I've done it. So obviously, the ages of the cast are much younger here. When you think about Toby and Andrew being like 27, 28 when they filmed their first movies. Mm-hmm. When they filmed this movie, Tom Holland was 20. I think he had just turned 20. Zadea and Ned, Jacob Batalon, who plays Ned, were both 19. Uh-huh. Pretty much all of the teen cast is around that 19-20 age. However, Laura Harrier, who plays Liz, was 26. Yeah. So she is much older. And I love that she's much taller, and I love that they focus on that. But I will say, like... Once you kind of know that she is like a grown ass adult woman hanging out, yeah, with these kids, and you watch it, like you can tell, yeah. you can kind of tell that she is an adult and and playing young versus the other ones who are basically playing, you know, three years younger or whatever. Yeah, just wanted. Oh, I lied. There are two more things after this. I I want to say. So we talked about Donald yeah. Glover. There was the fan cast for him to play Spider Man. And then they invented in the comics the character Miles Morales, who is partially based on Donald Glover. Now, this version, even though it is Peter, is taking a lot from the Miles Morales comics. Because Miles Morales goes to sort of like a private school, uh, smart school, like Peter does in this movie. The personality of Ned and the look is taken from Miles' best friend in the comics, who is Gonke. Okay. The name Ned leads is like a Spider-Man character who's like another reporter at the Bugle and he turns into a bad guy. It's like a very small Spider-Man character. But his whole relationship and personality and stuff is taken from Miles' best friend in the comics. So I want to shout all of that out. Now, Donald Glover is in this movie and the character he plays uh, is Aaron Davis, who we see in his little profile, aka Uh the Prowler, who is the uncle of Miles Morales in the comics. Oh, whoa. Okay. Miles' whole thing is that his dad is a cop and his dad's brother is a criminal. Yeah, yeah. Who is the Prowler. And we see him in this movie and he says... I got a nephew. I got a nephew in this neighborhood. Yeah. So a little hint in there. I, I just love that. That is pretty cool. The last thing, quickly, this is just funny. Hannibal Burris, who, as we said, plays the gym teacher in this movie, was uh-huh. unable to attend the premiere because he was filming Tag. So he tweeted 
that he would pay $500 to any Hannibal Burris lookalike with solid comedic timing who could attend the premiere. And some random guy, Joe Carroll, who lives in L.A., who does not really look like Hannibal Burris, <laughs> took him up on the offer and he like sent him his name tag and went to the premiere. And there's all this video of them like announcing Hannibal Burris and this random guy walks out. That is <laughs> that is awesome. That's a solid joke. Wow. Love that. We love that. Okay. The villain report. And then I'll toss this to you mm. first. We've got Michael Keaton as the vulture. And then he's also got um, the tinkerer and two versions of the shocker are his team. How do you feel about Michael Keaton in general? I feel like we haven't talked about him on this podcast before. And how do you feel about him as the vulture? I think Michael Keaton is an incredible actor. I just think like he is one of those people who is putting in the work, you know, and just like every time he does something like when he does a movie like this, where he's doing like some pretty silly stuff. Hot dog. I I think he, he elevates this kind of movie. You know, not Mm. all good actors are good in like schlocky movies. And I think he is because he's just like, he's just like so solidly there. I like him as the villain of this movie. I think he is one of the most sympathetic villains in a Spider-Man movie or maybe in any of these Marvel movies. Yeah. Especially because he's trying to commit a bloodless crime at the end, too. Absolutely. You know, so. I mean, he is he is selling weapons. Yes, to no, people not, who are not a good people. guy, but, but yeah, yeah, and he makes the point too. You know that is how Tony Stark got rich exactly. before he got clean. I love him a lot too. I have still never seen him as Batman, which I'm mm. interested in because I feel like all the movies I've seen him in that he's been incredible in the last eight ten years are very different characters, like very sort of regular guy mm. characters. You know, yeah. But I love him in this. He's so good, especially at playing, as we said, all of the like uncomfortable dad mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I love that he casually calls him Pedro instead of Peter. That feels very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Something a dad would do. And I love that he gives this like very accurate speech about like the class difference and about how like they're ground level guys and, you know, like we make the roads and we fight the wars for the upper crust, but we're not a part of their world. That stuff, first of all, all three of these Spider-Man movies are going to be like a little bit real world political in a way that the rest of the MCU really isn't. Uh I think that's John Watts's MO is to slip a little bit of that into each of these movies. But also I love that like that is his thing, but then he lives in a mansion. Do you know what I mean? And like Mm -hmm. we are introduced to his house first before we know it's his house as like the most incredible like high-tech amazing party house rich neighborhood house like so different from where peter lives cut to him all the time being like i got a family i got kids i gotta oh uh, yeah salt of the earth keep these boys working and then you're like oh but he lives in the rich house like yeah i just think that stuff is all interesting and part of like the fun game this movie is playing i guess yeah but i do think he's really good i also love I love the whole crew, but especially Bokeem Woodbine, who plays the second Shocker. He's a lot of fun when he uh, shows up with the stuff uh, at the high school at the very end, and he's throwing around the school bus and all that. Yeah, that is cool. Well, who's your MVP other than Peter? Ooh, um, it's a tight race between two actors, but I think I will give it to Zendaya. Mm. 
her character in this movie just feels so fresh. It feels like very modern mm-hmm. high schooler, you know, even still today. I love that she's just, she's like in a Sylvia Plath t-shirt and she's like, I'm not going to walk up at the Washington Monument yeah. <laughs> because it was built by slaves. You know, like all of that stuff. And like you mentioned, I was really surprised at how little she is in this movie. Like, yeah, they are very slowly teasing it and sort of establishing her and Peter as friends before they become lovers, you know? Yeah. I love even that it is a twist that she is MJ in, in a certain sort of way at the end. Yeah. Where they've called her Michelle the whole movie. I really like their Harry, Ron, and Hermione sort of vibe mm. that they've got going on. You know, that's what it reminds me of. That's a good call. In a big way. Who is your MVP? Then I'll do a couple shots. I think it's got to be Ned. Hell yeah. I th- he's so wonderful in this. Like his his friendship with Peter, his like sticking up for him all the time, trying to like make them both cooler somehow. <laughs> I love his hats. I love his hats. <laughs> Different hats. I love those. that he thinks he's in the movie super bad uh, <laughs> and no one else does. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful. Yes, I love Ned. Um, I love when he's, he says he was looking at porn at the end to cover up uh-huh. that he was <laughs> flying a drone plane or whatever. He's great. Shout out. I want to give a shout out to Donald Glover, who I also think is really good in this. Oh, yeah. Playing like a very specific sort of nuanced take on like a movie thug, you know, like feels much yeah. more lived in than that part would be on the page. For sure. I, I like the part where he says, don't try to upsell me. <laughs> he's like just trying it seems like he's just trying to buy a gun and they're like bringing out this alien tech and he's like why why would i need this i love when uh, peter comes at him with like the crazy batman voice Uh and he just is not intimidated at all oh and he says i heard your voice i know what a girl sounds like (laughs) thinks that he's a girl the whole time so funny all right well wait do you have any final thoughts before we get to this grueling quiz that i've put together for you i think we've covered most of it i just really love the energy of this movie i think that he really gets spider-man right too which we haven't talked about as much but like all of the quippy Mm -hmm. stuff feels very true to the spider-man character and yeah i think it is interesting to me that like this and ragnarok and guardians of the galaxy all strike me as being like the most watchable and the most rewarding in the MCU. Yeah. And they are kind of like straight up comedies, you know? Yeah. I feel like sometimes people will like give some slack to the MCU for having a lot of quips or not taking things as seriously. But I am also kind of like the ones that just go full comedy Uh and are kind of just being funny. Then when the superhero moments come, they also like hit a little bit harder on those yeah i don't know like i i love the moment where he's under the rubble that's very emotionally affecting right where you see him like actually have a panic attack and he's like can yeah. so god can someone please help me and you're like yeah he's a 15 year old kid he's not yeah iron man you know no he's a 15 year old kid trapped under some rocks and he's got to figure out what to do yeah so love this movie i mean any any final thoughts yeah i mean it rules it's very fun I think there's a lot of very cool web slinging stuff going on here, especially the part with the boat that gets cut in half. Really cool moments. Mm-hmm. But again, about his failure, about him like giving it his all and it's his 98% effective and it's going to still sink anyway. And then Iron Man comes in and helps. 
And he's the one who grabs the weapon that cuts it in half. Like, mm-hmm. they have the weapon, but he grabs it away from them, and then it activates and cuts the bone in half, you know? So. Yeah. yeah, about not understanding one's powers. All right, now on to Bums the Words. Uh, this is not going to be a regular old version of Bums the Word, though. Uh, this is going to be a kind of uh, mix-it-up day in honor of the title of this movie. We are doing Green Day song title or action movie title. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read you two oh, phrases. God. I'm going to read you a phrase, and you're going to have to sort it into one of two categories. Uh, we do that ten times. Okay. Okay. In a past right. life, I was a, a huge Green Day fan. I have not spent much time with them recently, but we'll see how much I retained. Uh, number one, Man on Fire. Oh, that is tough because in my head I was like, oh, it's both. <laughs> I'm going to say action movie. That is correct. It is an action movie. It's a Denzel movie, I think. I think it is. Um, okay. Nuclear Family. I th- mm-hmm. I'm going to say Green Day song. Yep. Okay. All right. Burnout. That is a Green Day song. I'm pretty sure. That one I knew. Yep, that's right. Black Rain. <laughs> oh, it's bad, whatever it is. <laughs> Whichever version it is, it's not a good one. Oh, boy. Um... I'm going to say action movie. That is correct. Hell yeah. Pulling Teeth. Pulling Teeth, I believe, is a Green Day song. That is correct. Hell yeah. All right. Just a couple more here. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get <laughs> you with one. Damn it. Hard Target. Hard Target, I believe, is... oh, I think it's a Green Day song. That is incorrect. It's a Claude uh, Van Damme movie from 1993. All right, uh, we have one more to close her out. The Grouch. I think The Grouch is a Green Day song. That is correct. Wow. Wade, nice. you are simply incredible. You have won the game. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, th- and thank you to everybody out there listening. In four weeks, we will be talking about Jordan Peele's Nope. Have you noticed that in films of this summer, people have been saying Nope a lot? It's because it's the summer of Nope, baby. And whatever is up there, it's coming for us. And we are coming for it in four weeks. Next week, though, we're going to be talking about Avengers Infinity War, a snappy little joint that we all love. Tune into that. And until then, stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp. And our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.